I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I can have what it says I can have. Today I will be taught the incorruptible, indestructible word of God. My mind is alert. My heart is open. My, and I will not go to sleep. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, you're so good to us, and we just ask you, God, for your wisdom, your power, your might to show up strong in this place. I thank you, God, that you have anointed the words of my lips, God, to go into the hearts of these, your people. We pray, God, for wisdom to navigate this message, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that the ground in their hearts are so fertile and so ready to receive, that they will know without a shadow of a doubt that you are the safe place, that they will know without a shadow of a doubt by the end of this message that you're there for them, that they will never question another day that you're for them. I glorify you, and I thank you for for this opportunity to be used by you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I got a question for you. Have you ever, like, questioned God? I know they say don't question God. You, you hear that? You've heard it before. You can ask God questions, but you don't question. Well, have you ever questioned God, though? I have. And you question him because you weren't sure of what was happening. Like maybe an event happened in your life. Something happened and you're wondering, why did that happen? Or maybe you're praying for something and it hasn't happened yet. And you're wondering, why isn't it happened yet? Or you're looking at so-and-so and going, how come it's happening for them? And it doesn't seem to be happening for me. And it looks like you're praying you're giving offering, you're serving, you're doing everything. You're doing all the right things, but wrong things seem to keep happening. You ever question God? And you try your best because you're supposed to be the good Christian. So you try your best not to feel resentful, feel disappointed. You, you, you try to avoid those feelings and you, you, you don't want to really say out loud, I don't know if God is really noticing me. I don't know if God is really for me. I mean, I, I think he's for them, but I don't know if he's for me. And your, your faith is on trial. But who could you confess it to without them thinking that you're paranoid or you're immature or you're just really not as saved as you're supposed to be? I mean, how dare you come and say, I'm questioning God and I don't know if God is really for me. You think it, but you could never say it because you're afraid that the next person will go, oh, what kind of? Heathen are you? Well, can you tell that by this very moment, if you don't feel sure that God is here and he's even thinking about you, I want to let you know that I've had that experience. I've had it many times. But this one particular time, it was February 23rd, 1992. It was about 8.30 in the morning, and I had gotten the news that my mom had been murdered. And so... I had the news, and of course, it was pandemonium and mayhem and, you know, just shock and awe and all those things that you go through when you have a, a death in the family. But then when you have a sudden death in the family, the grief is the same, but the way the events unfold are different. 
Sometimes when someone is sick, you kind of are praying them through and you're praying and you have time to console and to comfort and to say all the things you didn't say and all that stuff. But when it just happens like you talk to them the day before and then you wake up to call them and it's not there, it's a different situation. But the grief is still the same. And I used to sleep really well. You know what I mean? Sleep so well that I used to have conversations in my sleep. I mean, I had friends and everything. I mean, I'd have a whole group conversation in my sleep, you know. And then I, I, I couldn't even stop at just sleep talking. I mean, I had to travel too. So I walked while I was sleeping. Don't know how I got back up into the bed, but I mean, I used to sleep really good. And, and then I would sleep, you know, like... I mean, just wild, because my dreams are always so adventurous. You know what I mean? I was just like always climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or something. So I was just always active in my sleep and just get up to exhausted because I was just thrilled from the experience. Well, once, once that event happened, I lost that carefree sleep. And I never slept with my back to the door another day. I always have to sleep with my face facing the door, no matter where I am. So if pastor and I go out of town, I want the side with the door because I know I'm the protector of myself. Because see, the enemy, he uses events to sow fear into our lives. I didn't feel safe. I didn't have a safety problem before this. And now, here's the thing. I had seen God do miraculous things. Let me tell you. I mean, I mean real miracles. Not like, okay, my nail chipped and woo, it grew back next week. No, not that. I mean, I saw God open blind eyes, like for real. I've prayed for people and heard them hear. And they, they were deaf from their birth. And we've seen legs grow. And, and then I saw my mom come to the Lord. I mean, we've seen miraculous provision, mira- miraculous events in our life. And so here this big event comes. And I did not know that I was, by my fearful actions, reaping a greater harvest of fear in my life. I did not realize that like a bad Halloween trick, the enemy had convinced me of this lie, and I bought it. I, I didn't even pay. I just said, give it to me. for what, what you need? Give it to me. I bought the lie that, yes, God can heal, but God can't protect. Yes, God can provide, but God can't protect. The Bible says in John 8, 44, that the devil is the father of lies. That is what he does. And what he does is cause these, these, these events come into our life and it creates an opportunity for us to fear or for us to be afraid. Because when that happened to me, I decided I need to now fix it myself. I now need to be my own strong tower. I can't trust God or other people in this area to defend me protect me, take care of me. Oh no. I have to do it myself. And what we don't understand is that the enemy creates an event. And if we don't watch it and check that thing, that event will allow that door for fear. And whatever we allow 
we give access to. And whatever we give access to, we give influence to. And whatever begins to influence us creates momentum in our life. And whatever creates momentum in our life eventually must manifest. And so you cannot afford to abide the lies of the enemy another day. The success for potential, the potential for momentum is limitless once it goes. It's like a domino effect. It just doesn't stop. And so before you know it, I can't sleep with my face to the door. I mean, you know, back to the door. But then, no, I'm starting to. Can't go to the car and not. Can't see somebody walking and wonder. You can't put your hand in your pocket and wonder you're going to shoot me what? Paranoid. In the name of being conscientious about my surroundings. No, I don't know if you're going to come upon me and shoot me. I don't know if you're going to knock on my door and, you know, because that's what happened to my mom. She was in her house when she got murdered. She wasn't on the street. It wasn't a drive-by. It wasn't a car crash. I mean, they came to her house. So there's a certain element of privacy and security that I'm like, okay, okay, all right. All because I allowed one event to get into, my, into your mind. The enemy wants us to think two things. His main goal is to separate us from the heart of God. That is what he wants to do. If he can convince us that the heart of God is not good towards us, he would have overcome. He wouldn't need to do anything else. And so two things he works hard at trying to do, two lies he tries to sell us. One, God is not with me. And two, God is not for me. He's for everyone else, but he's not for me. This is what he tries to do. First Kings 19. There, there's a story about Elisha. And Elijah was this great prophet. I mean, he was the prophet of prophets. You know, I mean, he could say, you know, just create miracles. Also things that happened. He had gone to the uh, Zarephath and this widow woman, she didn't have any food left. And she, he said, hey, bake me a cake. And when she baked him the cake, the Bible says that he declared that this cruise of oil and the meal that you gave me will never fail. And it didn't until the famine was over. That was a huge miracle. And then her son died. And he laid upon her, her son and the boy was raised from the dead. And then he was here over here now with Jezebel. He has this big event going on and Jezebel kills all these prophets. And when she kills all these prophets, Elijah comes in bold and he says, hey, what's going on here? My God is bigger than your God. And, and he starts doing all this stuff and he says, I give you a challenge. Bring all your prophets here. And we're going to set up this big altar. And we're going to see whose God is greater. And Elijah puts water on the wood and he soaks it three times and he digs this big canal around the, the altar and, and he puts water in there and he prays to the God of heaven, our God. And God sends fire and burns up the offering and the water. I mean, he really set fire to the rain. He had, the Bible says that that fire licked up that water. And here it is, Ahab comes to, to Jezebel, Ahab is her husband, and he says, Jezebel, this is what Elijah is doing. He's doing all this crazy stuff down there in the valley. And Jezebel sends a message and says, hey, Elijah, remember all those prophets I killed? 
I'm going to do that to you. And Elijah freaks out and he runs and he goes, oh God, I wish I would have just killed me myself and why have you left me? I mean, this is a man, remember now, the cruiser oil did not fail at his word. He lays upon a dead boy and boy raises from the dead. And he sees just moments before fire burn up water and wood in an offering, a miraculous event. And here it is. What she said triggered a previous moment. Triggered a previous event. And that event created fear in his life. And he was on the way to abort his destiny as a prophet because of an event. And God said, hey, hold up. You, you, you are tripping. Because you are not the only prophet I have. You do not know. I have prophets all over this mountain. Get yourself together, Elijah. Get yourself together. And so here it is that, you know, all these miracles happened. And he bought the lie, God is not with me. Now, I am not a sports person. And the only sport I ever did was swimming. And the reason I did it is because I get my own lane. Nobody can foul me. Because if you climb over into my lane, it's very obvious to everyone in the stands. If you kick me, we can see under the water. So I like swimming because it is a non-conflicting sport. It's a sport for the peaceful. (laughs) And so I don't really know anything about baseball. But baseball, apparently you have some bases in the baseball. I do know that. And there are like three of them and then you go home. And then if you hit the ball really far, it's called a home run. The rest of it, I don't know what, I don't know what all of that means right there. Okay, I'm like, okay. So, but here's the thing. If a player can just get to the base, he'll be safe. Am I right? All right, because you know, you got to make sure that I know what I'm saying here. However, the game does not stop at first base. You are not fulfilling the highest potential of the game until you get home. But in between first base and home are other bases. And what happens to us is we get caught up in the in-between run. Because we think that we are out before the game has started. But the truth is you are safe until you are called out. And the umpire is not there trying to wave you out. He's trying to wave you And so if we don't watch it in the game of life, while we are running from safety to safety, because the base is the word. And for every level that you're going in life, you have to pass from first base. And you are going, somebody wants you out. But the umpire of our faith is saying, hey, I've already called you in because I've already provided the base there for you. I've already provided safety spots all along the way. Don't get caught up in the in-between run. Focus on the safety base. You've got a place to go. So when you're running... Fear will make you do this. (laughs) 
Faith, fear will make you doubt. Fear will make you go, is it going to happen for me? Fear will make you say, oh my gosh, I don't think it's going to work. Fear is going to make you think, I'm not smart enough for this. I don't have the qualifications. Fear will say, oh my goodness, why did they leave me? I don't think I can get somebody else. Fear will make you go, oh my gosh, my, my, my son, they're not going to do well. Fear makes you go back and forth, back and forth, because you're focusing more on who is trying to get you out. Then the umpire who's already called the call, you're safe. So you don't have to no longer do that. You can just walk. You notice when they walk, they walk confidently because they know that the hit that they did was good. When you can hit your fear with a word, you know it's good. You can walk in peace. You don't have to be stressed. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to get your knickers in the bunch. Because you know, he who holds your future is for you and he is with you. You know, you got, you got to check this out. One thing you, you cannot do in a time of crisis is call more crisis to yourself. How do you do that? When you're going through something and you begin to rehearse the, the crisis, you, you begin to draw more of it to yourself. Here it is, Job was going through a crisis. And if you don't know about Job, Job is the most persecuted person in the Bible. I mean, everything that could go wrong went wrong, and then it was some more. And then some more. And every day it just seemed like Job was getting bad news. Kind of like how we feel. But Job, he says early in Job, because Job has lots of chapters. But chapter 3, on the front end, Job says this. Job 3, 24 to 25. You can turn there if you can. Job 3, 24 through 25. He goes into this long spill about what's happening. And he's just telling the whole world. And then he comes with this brilliant confession. For my sighing cometh before I eat. And my roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared is up on me. And that which I was afraid of is come to me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest. Neither was I quiet, but trouble came. When in trouble, don't call more trouble. You're already in trouble. Help yourself. Call something else. Had he just remembered how good God had been, he'd realize the same God that was good to him in chapter 1, just one chapter's difference, was the same God that could restore him. For yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will do what? Fear no evil. I will to not fear any evil. Fear makes you think the worst and reject the best. But fear, faith is like the base in baseball. You just got to get it. You just got to get to the word in every test. You got to get to the word in every trial. You got to get it. Here's the thing. What you don't remember is that right now, Right here, because you're in this moment sitting right in that seat, you have a truth that you have not yet realized. You know, but you may not understand that God is for you. 
God is with you because you being here is a testimony of the fact that the enemy hasn't struck you out. You being here shows that even though you may have been afraid, you inched your way to the next base. And you being right here is very critical. It's very crucial. You have to know that God is for you and God is with you. Regardless of the situation, the umpire is already calling you safe. God is not your enemy. He's your greatest fan. He is cheering you on and he is not chucking you out. He's working for you. He's not working against you. He is rooting for you. God is rooting for you. He is not up there trying to trip you up. Sitting down thinking, how can I make your day horrible today? Let's see. Hmm. How can I just frustrate her? Oh. I mean, what kind of God is that? That's not the God we serve. God is a good God. You know, the Bible says in John 6, 6, that Jesus had a dilemma. You know, he was walking and he picked up some people along the way. Okay, he picked up like 5,000 people along the way. I mean, Jesus had a traveling church. And... Um, the Bible says that these people got hungry. You ever been with a lot of hungry people? Family reunion. Been to a family reunion with lots of hungry people. And they're waiting on the food. And they're hungry. And it's getting dark. And then they had to walk up the hillside. So now you're having me exercise on an empty stomach. You're having me hungry. There's a whole lot of people here with their children. And so, you know, the disciples said, hey, people are hungry. And so Jesus was like, well, what you going to do? And the Bible says that he said that to them to test them because he already knew what he was going to do. And he's saying to you, what you going to do? Are you going to believe me? Because I already know. I'm going to work it out for you. I already know. I got that thing shifted for you. I already know that I, that I have that car for you. Whatever it is that you're believing, he already has it in place. What you're going to do? Are you going to choose faith or are you going to choose fear? I am with you. See, God is in the I am with you. I don't bail out. Here's the thing. When Jesus was in this situation, what I liked about him is he did not call bankruptcy court. He did not take off his little Jesus sandals and tramp on them. He did not, you know, have a pity party and say, okay, can I call my mama? Where is Mary? I know she can make some bread. He do none of that. He already knew that God had this thing taken care of. So he took what he had and he consecrated it to the Lord. And that thing turned around and fed 5,000 people. God is in the rallying the troops business. He's in the I will never leave you business. I know people have left you. People have disappointed you. But that's not him. This is not that. He's in the I will stick with you business. I am like a stamp. I will go the distance with you. That's the God that we serve. You know, Daniel was faced with some lions, and you may have some two-legged lions in your office that are trying to use their mouth to intimidate you, scare you, tear you down, you know, and persecute you. But you know what? God showed up by an angel, and he, he was in there, and he shut the lion's mouth. And he said to Daniel, hey, I know you're in a tough place, but I'm with you. And then, you know, you had, um, you know, you had Shadrach, Meshach. And Abednego, and they were in a fiery furnace. And that's a tough place when you know that everything looks like it's about to burn up. You're about to die. 
And God said, hey, back up, back up. I'm not just with you. I'm for you. Look, see me here. They didn't even get smell like smoke. And then, you know, you had, um, you had um, Sarah, and she was embarrassed and humiliated because she didn't have a baby, and everybody has had a baby, and all this kind of stuff. And she's getting old, and her hair's falling out, and she's thinking, I'm like 90 years old, man. What's happening here? And God says, hey, don't worry about that. I'm with you. I've heard you. And then, you know, you have Peter. Peter was in jail. Some of you feel like your marriage is jail, but no, 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 your marriage is not the prison. Come next week for that. How do you lose yourself in a, without leaving yourself? Hallelujah. Praise his holy name. Well, Peter was in a prison in a situation that just seemed like he just was choking and couldn't get out. And the Bible says that God said, no, Peter, I didn't forget that you over there by yourself. And sent an angel on lock that thing. And he came out because God is for you. God is with you. When you look at the events of your life, we have a choice. We can choose to fund our fears or fuel our faith. We have to choose that. We have to choose that. I had to choose. Am I going to stay exhausted trying to hold a knife under my pillow, take a gun class, a BB shotgun class, a slingshot class, I mean, a karate class, a Taibo class? What am I, am I going to get tired of trying to protect myself? Draw all these boundaries and let everyone stay far away. So nobody can hurt you. If they don't know you, they can't hurt you. See, right? That's exhausting. That's exhausting. And I had to make a choice. How did I change that? How did I change that? Here's the thing. The only way to trust God fully is to know that he's safe. He's a safe place. And the only way to know is to know. And the only way to know that you know is to get some knowledge. And the only way to get some knowledge is to read. Preferably the Bible. Read something. Don't read things that are going to cause, create more fear in your life. Don't talk to other people who are going through, you know, those bad situations to create more fear in your life. You know, and the scripture I used was Psalm 127 too. He gives his beloved sleep. And I would confess that, Lord, I thank you right now that you have given your angels charge over me. Because he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. He will not cause the pestilence to hit me a new day. And he will not cause trouble to come nigh my dwelling place because I trust the Lord. See, I had to get a word inside of me going, the Lord God is mighty. The Lord is mighty in battle. He is my strong tower. He is my defense. He is Jehovah Tiskanu, the God that battles for me. I had to know that God was for me. If God is for you, who can be against you? Romans 8 says, if God is on my side, I had to get that down in my heart that God is bigger than me. I had to get that word so deep in, your, in my heart that it pushed up my fears. You had to get so deep it pushes out your failures and your past. You have to get it so deep that it pushes out all your frustrations. And what it has left in there is like solid rock. You got to push that word in and push that word in and push that word in. Because you can't move by how you feel. 
You got to be motivated by your faith and not motivated by your situation. You got to grow up sometime and say, I can't operate 100% of the time in my feelings. I got to trust on something that's more real. God is for me. God is for me. Here's the thing. Who is greater than God? Nobody is greater than God. And the Bible says in Jeremiah, for I know the plans. You may not be fully aware, but I got this. I know. The word know means to intimately know. Like an architectural drawing. There's a lot of intricate things about the rooms and the measurements and the sizes and all this kind of stuff. God intimately knows his intention for you. It's not a haphazard plan he threw together. He didn't just eat a bad meal and cough up a dream for you. I mean, he sat down, meditated, and thought this thing through from before you were born. The Bible says in Psalm 139, before I was in my mother's womb, you knew me. You intimately took the time to know me before you even formed me. That's how deep and good and great God is towards you. That his plans to you are to prosper you and to give you good success, the Bible says. Nothing bad because he is for you. He is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you, the Bible says. See, I have put you in the palm of my hand. I have indelibly marked you that you are always in front of me. I can't miss you for wanted to because my mind is full of you that's what God is saying so cheer up you're not in this thing by yourself you're not an orphan you're not some lone ranger on a ride into the sunset you've got backup you've got angels the Bible says always surrounding you you've got the God of all creation on your side Hebrews says there's a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. He doesn't want you to fail. And because he is with you, you have no option but to succeed. So shake off what you're dealing with. Shake off what you're going through. Don't magnify your problem. Magnify your God and he will solve your problem. The minute you begin to say he's greater than my situation. He's greater than my sickness. He's greater than my divorce. He's greater than my pain. He's greater than the torture I have at night. When you know that he is greater, there is nobody greater than God. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you, trust him today. You have to make a choice. You're going to trust yourself? It hadn't been working too well so far. I challenge you to trust him. I challenge you to, that as we go into worship about letting him know how great he is. I promise you this. When you magnify God, there's a certain authority and power that comes into your situation that transforms that thing. When you can focus on him, the Bible says he will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. I challenge you to make him your Lord and Savior today. I challenge you. Commit to him. I challenge you to worship him. If you would just stand with me. Let's worship. 
Because there's nobody greater. There's nobody greater. Look at your neighbor and say, there's nobody greater. Nobody greater than him.